I do hope that you've had a great week. I hope that over the past several weeks that there's something that's stuck in your mind or, or rang out loud as we have walked through the book of Jonah. And one of those things is that God said, go, but Jonah said, what? No. <laughs> but see, I know you're not like Jonah. I know that you've never said no to God. Dave, you've never told God no before, have you? No. No. Um, but you know, when we run from God, isn't it awesome to know that our Heavenly Father, He's right there waiting for us to return because He's got a plan and He's got a purpose for our lives, just like we see in Jonah's life. Listen, the, the, the same thing that God asked Jonah to do when he came back and he repented is the same exact thing He asked him to do the second time. I want you to go, and I want you to preach to the Ninevites. Um, another one of the things that we have learned in, the, in our time together is God invites us as his children to be on mission so that others come to know and trust him. Not just people that are in close proximity of us, like our neighbors, our, our family members, those that we work with, those that we may go to school with, kids, those that we play and we, we see on a, on a regular basis. But I want us to see also that God wants us to have a, a vision and a and a, and a a vision for the world itself. You know, when, when I have the privilege of traveling different places, it just reminds me, Jesus. Salvation doesn't come because we live in a specific country. It comes because of Jesus. And there are people all over the world, regardless if it's in the jungles of Nicaragua or the mountains of India or in Alaska or wherever we may travel, Poland, Africa, there are people there that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I've said this before, and I'll reiterate some of these numbers, and, and uh, I guess these numbers are really based on which specific group that you, that, you, that you listen to, that you prescribe to. But they say there's some 16,000 different people groups in the world today. Of those people groups, six to 7,000 of them are unreached people groups. And of that six to 7,000, they say that half of that is what they call not only unreached, but also unengaged people groups. And what an unengaged people group is, is there's no literature, there's no missionary, there's no outreach, there is no church, there's no fellowship that they know of in those areas. Half of that group lies in India alone. India is the size of a third of the United States, yet one-fifth of the population of the world lives there. And when Jack and I went last year, we had the privilege of di distributing study Bibles for pastors, many which had been persecuted. We had talked to them. Now, I didn't talk to them, I through, but through translator, had the opportunity of hearing their stories of many and how they had experienced persecution personally or people within inside of their family had exper experienced persecution because of their faith. And if you could have seen their eyes as they, as they held that Bible in their hand for the first time, Incredible. Incredible. But we also took a resource to them called the Story Cloth, and the Story Cloth is basically 42 pictures of God's story taken from the Scriptures. And the Story Cloth is so important because it's pictures that they could explain to one another because many of the people that live in these unreached areas, unengaged areas, are people that don't need to read or write. So it shows you the importance of education. But they would take this story cloth, and we taught them the story cloth and showed them how to go about it and had them repeat. And we would sit down on the ground, and we would talk to them and have them practice back and forth. Is there some pictures up there? 
And uh, it was very unique because inside of that room, sometimes there were two or three different languages going on at one time because they may have spoken Odia, but they might not have, they may have been somebody that didn't speak Odia. So they had to, another person who would speak this language would have to translate it into another language. It's very foreign to us because many of us only speak one language in America, and that's English. But in many other countries, they speak five, six, even multiple languages. But what a privilege it is to take the gospel across the world because the same God that loves us loves them as well. And how much of a burden should we have for the lost, not just for our co-workers, but also those that have never heard the gospel? Because when we live on mission, as God intended us to live, we're a part of what Jesus began 2,000 years ago with his disciples. What a privilege that is. So here's God having given Jonah the instructions to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I don't want to do that. So he went in the opposite direction. It didn't take him long for him to realize that that probably wasn't the best or smartest of ideas. There was a storm that was sent. He was swallowed by a whale. And all of a sudden, he found himself there for three days and three nights before he literally cried out to God and the fish would cough him up. After he cleaned himself off, reluctantly, he did what he should have done to start off with. He listened to God and he went to Nineveh and he preached that message, which we heard last week, 40 days from now, and Nineveh will be destroyed. And the scripture teaches us and tells us that every person from the least to the greatest repented and they turned to God. And we found out last week in chapter 3, verse 10, where it said, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. So here's Jonah, this foreign guy in a foreign place with a foreign message of a foreign God that they didn't know. And Jonah speaks out and he preaches and tells them what God told him to tell them. And they turn to him. Massive response, a massive response, and that's where we pick it up today in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1, and I want to pray with you before we begin. At the end of our service, we'll have the opportunity of celebrating the Lord's Supper today, and uh, it's not this spooky time that happens amongst those religious people that are gathered, but the celebration of the Lord's Supper is a time for us to be able to remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And it's a reminder for us that we are not only, as his children, given the privilege of being a part of his family, but also being a part of his mission. Let's pray, and then we'll start reading this morning in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray, God, that as we embark over these next few, few minutes to spend time in the Word, that, God, you speak very clearly to us, that even though the feebleness of my chatter back and forth and conversation, that God, there would be something the Holy Spirit speaks into our life because of the living word of God. We would be prompted. We would be prompted to move closer to you, recognizing our sinfulness and recognizing the hope that we have because of Jesus. Father, I pray for the person here that may be here today that, that doesn't know you. Father, I pray that even this morning they would come to recognize to cry out to you, to repent, and to place their faith in you. Bless us in the reading of your word. That's what I ask today. In Christ's name, amen. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1, and this is what it reads. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. 
You ever been angry with God? God didn't do what you, what, 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 what you thought he should do or respond the way that you thought he would respond. That's exactly what happened here. This change of plans had upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained. Any complainers in the house? He whined. He bellyached. Talk to the Lord about it. I mean, here's a moment in time when an evangelist, a preacher, a teacher, had just saw all these people repent. I mean, man, he listened. If there was ever a time to be happy, they're celebrating. It should have been now. I mean, this is the moment that he would have logged it in on Facebook. Look at just what happened. Look at all these people. I mean, let me just see if I can get them all numbered here. One, two, three, four, five. But here he was. He's mad and he's angry. Here are people turning to the Lord, and Jonah is ticked off, and he begins to complain. And he goes on to say, didn't I say before I left home that you, man, circle these yous. Because Jonah knew, and he said, you, I knew you'd do this, Lord. That's why I ran to Tarshish. I knew, I knew that, that you are merciful and compassionate, God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. See, you are, are eager to turn back from destroying people. See, God, I didn't want to go do what you wanted me to do because I knew, already knew up front what was going to happen. I knew. I knew that if they heard your message, I knew that they would repent. I knew that if they repented, I knew that you would forgive them because I know you. I know you. How many of us really know the Lord or we just heard about him? The compassion and mercy that Jonah was talking about was the same compassion and mercy that he'd seen time and time again extended to the, to the Israelite people. The mercy and grace and love that he had seen extended, the one that he was talking about was the same exact mercy and grace that he himself had received in his life. And Jonah knew that if the Ninevites repented, God would give them the same mercy and compassion. And that's not what he wanted. Look at what he said. Just kill me now, Lord. <laughs> we laugh at that. I mean, just, you know, take me away. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? How can you be angry for me applying my love and my mercy to the Ninevites the same way I've, I've extended it to you and the Israelites? I mean, how can you be upset with me for rescuing and saving them? Don't you know what I've extended to you? Don't you know how I spared your life? See, what I, what I think was happening here, there's a couple things that are starting to boil up. They're starting to come to the surface in, in Jonah's life. Because that's what difficulty does. That, see, that's what tension does. It brings to surface the reality of who we really are. If you want to really know somebody who, what's going on in their life, it's not in the great times, but it's in the difficult times. Man, I love Jesus. Job's going well. Money in the bank's going well. All of a sudden, there's a tension. I can't believe God would do that. Here's a couple of things that I think that Jonah was wrestling with. Number one, the issue of idolatry. Back in chapter 2, verse 8, we saw this in Jonah where it says, those who worship false gods turn their back on all of God's mercies. The point of that verse was that Jonah's actions were driven by his idolatry. I mean, here's Jonah loving his Jewish ethnicity, his background as an Israelite, his position as a respected leader and prophet, 
And Jonah hated the Ninevites because they were a threat not only to his people but also to his comfort. They were a threat to him personally and those things that he valued the most. Jonah had no problem obeying God as long as God was doing for him what he wanted him to do. But all of a sudden, when some of the things that he began to value, that he valued in his life, began to be threatened, hmm. here's a couple things about idolatry. Number one, idolatry is when we build our lives on something other than God. You say, that's not me. It's easy to do that, isn't it? I mean, think about it. It's easy for our identity to be defined by those things that we gain value or worth from. It could be friendships, but what happens when your friendships aren't there? It could be resources, financial resources, but what happens when the financial resources aren't there? It could be a position at work or the type of home or the community that you happen to live in, or it could be the type of car that you drive. Listen, parents, here's one that's really apropos for you right now. It could be the type of backpack that your kid wants you to buy to go to school with. I don't want that Walmart backpack. Could be the type of shoes that you wear. I mean, everybody's in full-blown having to get clothes for school. I see parents shaking their head. I have to have this type. No, you don't. Yes, I do, because my value and my worth is based upon what I wear, not who I am in Jesus. Maybe it's the truck I drive or the type of boat that I've got. But all of us have something that is really easy to fill in that blank with where we find our worth and our value and our identity. And to be honest, I think that as we go through different stages in life, those things have a, they can change. And you go, I can't believe that, but you're not there. And all of a sudden to find yourself years down the road in that exact same place that you said, I would never find myself. Filling in that blank with my life would be so much better only if but when we build our lives around anything more than God's love and acceptance, we're no better off than, than Jonah. What is it for you? What is it that you wrestle with or struggle with putting in front of God? When we seek to build our life on anything else than God, when we seek to build our, our life on anything else around other than God's acceptance, we're no better off than, than Jonah. And what happens, listen, it's easy for things like fear and bitterness and unforgiveness to all of a sudden begin to set in because when those things are threatened, when they're being threatened of being taken away, those are some attitudes that we see. But I know that's not you, though. I know that's not you. Here's a second thing really quickly. Idolatry is anything we love more than God, trust more than God, or crave more than God. Anything we love more, trust more, or crave more from God than God. And here's Jonah, more concerned with the prosperity of his people, the preservation of his self, and the punishment of the Ninevites than his obedience. Man, I'm not like Jonah. I'm glad God is number one in my life. Here's a couple of questions for you. What are you most terrified of losing? What would you say? What is it that, that absorbs a majority of your time and, and effort? 
What is it you worry about the most? What is it you, you don't think that you could be happy without? When we look at Jonah's life, what we see is an outward expression of hate, anger, worry, jealousy, unforgiveness. And this is what we know, that those outward expressions are only an indicator that there's something else going on up underneath the surface that really needs to be addressed. Have you ever seen that happen in somebody's life? You've, you've, you've never seen anybody else angry, emotional, unforgiving, bitter, nasty, worry. And here's the point. When we see those attitudes, when we see those emotions, what they do is they let us know that there's something else going on in the depths of the heart. And this is what we know. Idolatry is the essence of sin. When we were in Alaska, several mornings when we were driving, there was smoke all over the place, but we never could see the fire. Never could see it, but we could smell it. And we knew that it was close by but because it was pretty thick. And then I remember on my way back, the wind had shifted, and all of a sudden we could see the, the smoke begin to dissipate, and all of a sudden we could see the fire up in the, on the mountainside. And see, I want you to understand that those emotions and those attitudes of anger and jealousy, it's like smoke. But where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's smoke, there's a problem. Second thing, not only idolatry, but also ignorance. Write this down, ignorance. Ignorance towards the grace that God has extended to him. Back in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah himself said, I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God Jonah knew God because he had experienced it firsthand. But why in the world was Jonah so resentful? Maybe it was because he had already forgotten all the things that God had done for him. Or maybe he thought that the Ninevites were worse off than he was. You know, this is a side note. It's easier for us to look at other people and to recognize their sin and bypass what's going on in our own lives. Be careful. Mama used to always say, you know, there's four fingers pointing back. Be careful. Be careful. And it's really funny because the things that aggravate us about others may be things that we are going on in our lives. We just can't see it in our lives. And there's something that happens, though. All of a sudden, when we begin to have this hatred towards our own sin, when, our, when hatred towards our own sin increases, it prompts us to not only receive and embrace God's grace, but it also opens the door for us to be compassionate and merciful towards others. When we understand the suffering and the sacrifice that Jesus gave and the price that he paid and what he endured on the cross, it not only brings and heightens our awareness of our own sin, but what it does, it prompts us to be forgiving and extend that grace to others. When we receive grace, it's easy to extend grace. Unforgiveness and bitterness is really a gospel issue, if you really want to get down to it, because we can't extend something that we haven't received, something that has been so freely given to us as a gift. How can we give it to someone else when we ourselves haven't received it? And here are the Ninevites. They're godless, they're adulterers, they're murderers, they're vicious idolaters. And at a distance, Jonah's saying, man, I'm glad I'm not as bad as them. I'm glad I'm not in the same position. 
all the while, here is Jonah saying, no, God, no, God, I'm not going to do that. How many times do we drive down the road and we go, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm not like them. That was one of the things I think I noticed the most in, in Anchorage, in and around Anchorage, was the numbers of homeless and displaced people. Every street corner, it seemed like we were on, there were homeless and displaced people. Alaska, number one, in the area of suicide, drug abuse, and alcoholism. Incredible. But how many times do we say, I'm glad I'm not as bad as they are. I'm glad that I'm not in that position. I'm glad that I haven't been addicted to drugs, or I'm glad that I'm not in prison, or I'm glad that I haven't ran around on my spouse, or I'm glad that I haven't killed somebody. I'm glad I'm not like that type of person. But how many times does this attitude just demonstrate how ignorant we truly are of God's grace in our own life? Jonah's disease was idolatry and, and ignorance. When we value our goodness, what we do is we disvalue God's sacrifice of his son Jesus. Look at me. <laughs> Ain't nothing good here. Only Jesus. Verse 5 says, And Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Now he's just going to, you know, he's just going to get this little attitude about him. I mean, it's pretty apparent here what exactly Jonah would have liked to have seen. I mean, he wanted them to be destroyed. He wanted God to pour out his wrath on the Ninevites. And so he goes out and he sits down. And look at what verse 6 says. And I want you to circle the number of times you see the word arranged. Because he says, and the Lord God, he did what? He arranged. He appointed or he assigned for a leafy plant to grow there. I was astounded. I don't know what the biggest vegetables you've, already, you've ever seen are. But in Alaska, they've got these huge, huge vegetables. I, they told me, and I said, man, you got to be kidding me. A pumpkin that weighs 1,400 pounds? I had a cabbage that weighed 60 pounds? I said, come on, man. I said, this is, must be an Alaskan storyteller or something. They said, no, because of the 24 hours of sunlight, it just grows so fast. I saw a sunflower that looked like something that Jack and the Beanstalk had created. I mean, this thing, they had stalks of corn that were 24 foot tall, people. Now, if you're a farmer, that's a big deal, especially when I'm not going to rag on your corn, son. 24 foot corn stalk. I mean, who in the world would think 24 foot corn stalk? you enormous. And so here it is. He goes out and the Lord God arranges for a leafy plant to grow over him. And soon it spread out its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This, is eased, this eased his discomfort. Jonah was grateful for the plant. <laughs> this is Jonah on the outside. Man, it's hot. And all of a sudden, this, this, this leafy plant forms itself and provides a vine with some leaves to cover his head. Who provided the plant? God did. Man, God provided the plant. Did he deserve it? Nope. But God gave it, didn't he? And he provided it. You know, I, I, I looked. You go back and look on some of these weather uh, indicators and see how hot it is in Mosul. An average temperature right now, an average temperature right now, 
during the month of July is 109 degrees. Last week it was 115 degrees average there. Temperatures regularly rise over 120 degrees, and so this is the type of heat that he's in. I mean, it is hot. Hot, big time hot. He's burning up, and God provides a plant to provide some shade. And if you've ever been outside on a hot day, you know, man, what it's like to have a shade. If you've ever been out on a boat, it's great to have a top, isn't it? Yeah, man, mowing outside in the grass, it's good to have something over your head, something bigger than a hat. He's baking in it. Man, he's excited because, and there's a plant over his head that's providing some shade. Oh, but it didn't stay that way in verse 7. But God also arranged, God provided, God assigned, God anointed. The next morning at dawn, a worm to eat through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged, oh, here's that, there's that word again, arranged, appointed, or God did it, for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah, God will arrange for a lot of things. He is the creator of all things, isn't he? Isn't he sovereign in all of his ways? That wind that he's talking about may be the Scirocco winds that would blow up to 100 miles an hour. David, did you ever experience that? Intense heat. Intense heat, they say. Wow. Drastic rises in temperatures. And he goes on to say, the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and he wished he could die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he said. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And here's the teaching moment, don't miss this. Here's Jonah mad about losing the vine and the comfort from that momentary dis discomfort. He was more madder about the position that he was in and the heat that he was experiencing, the temporary pleasure of being cool than the spiritual condition of the Ninevites. He was more concerned with his own pleasure than he was the sin of the Ninevites. And God said, do you have any right to be angry? What do you think Jonah said? Well, yeah. Yeah, it says he retorted even angry enough to die. Kill me, Lord, kill me. Here it is again. Take my life. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, but you didn't put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh, but Nineveh, the place that I sent you, the place that I told you to go, listen, more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Jonah, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Jonah, here you are more concerned with a cool breeze than you are with people living in and around you that are living in spiritual darkness. God's saying, Jonah, you know me. You know that I'm merciful, and you know that I'm compassionate. You know that I'm free with giving my love, and you, you know me. You know what's important to me. But these people, they don't know. They don't know me. I mean, listen, why is it that sometimes professing believers get so mad with people on the outside that are doing what they're doing? They don't know any better. 
When you don't know Jesus, how in the world do you expect them to act? They're just doing what comes natural. The problem is when people on the inside don't act like they should act. That's where the problem really comes in. Why is it we get so angry with non-believers when they're doing what they know to do? That's why God was sending Jonah. But just as God sent Jonah, guess what? Here it is. God sends us. See, the person that you work beside, God sent you. The person that you employ as an employer, God sent you. The student that you sit next to in classroom, God sent you. The waitress at the restaurant that you have a a way of always wanting to blast her because your food just isn't the right way that you ordered it, God sent you. And just as God sent Jonah, God sends us as his children. Here's Jonah more concerned about what made him comfortable than the lives of those living in spiritual darkness, the lives of those that were perishing around him. And I hear God saying, Sid, I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. The guy that pulls out in front of you while you're driving, the person that takes that last parking spot when you got your blinker on and you're waiting to turn in, the person that pulls up beside you and gives you the finger, the right hand of Christian fellowship, Your neighbor that hadn't mowed their grass all summer long, it's making your yard look bad. It'd say it'd be easy for us to say, you know, I, I love Jesus and I love people, but it's easy for our concern to wane in those times, isn't it? It's easy at that moment from what's important to God to be overshadowed by what's important to me. But here's what spiritual growth is. Spiritual growth is when we come to the place in our lives when all of a sudden we begin to be concerned about those things that concern God. Those things that, 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 that work at the heart of God are the things that begin to work in our heart. That I begin to see what God sees and I begin to love as God loves. And I begin to weep over the things that God weeps over. But it's so easy for us to become distracted. I mean, it's easy for us from all of a sudden to become distracted from doing those things that we know that we should do. Instead of building those intentional relationships with, to be able to share Christ's love, all of a sudden to become distracted from that. So what are some things that distract us? Here's just a couple of things before we close out. Number one, pride. You know, I want people to go to heaven. I, 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 I just, I'm a, I really don't want to talk to them about it because what if, what if they ask me something I don't know? I mean, I really like to engage my neighbor in a conversation about Jesus, but I'm afraid that what happens if they turn me down? I mean, how many times do we forfeit the opportunities to engage people in conversations, to build relationships with people, to serve other people because we're fearful of how they might respond? How many times do we just walk on by when we know that God's calling us to stop? And it's pride, the fear of what somebody else may think or fear of what we may end up losing. 
just like the conversation with Caleb. Engage them. Tell them your story. Listen, let them see. If they see Jesus in you, they're going to want to engage you in a conversation. I promise you that. Because there will come a time in their life when all of a sudden they begin to struggle. They're dealing with some issues and they don't really know what to do. And if they've seen Jesus in you, they will engage you in a conversation. And it may look something along this line. Hey, can I talk to you for a second? Can I talk to you? I'm really struggling. How many times has that happened? So we can be distracted by pride or even our busyness or productivity. We've got so many things in our side of our schedule during the day. When there is somebody in, in need, we have no margin left to give. No margin left to give. Or what about this? We just have too many Christian friends. When's the last time you've intentionally built a relationship with somebody who didn't know Christ so that you had the opportunity to share Christ? How many of us have so many Christian friends, by the time you hang out with them, there's no time left for those who don't know the Lord. So what is it that distracts you? Do the concerns of the Lord concern you? You know what the greatest concern of the Lord is? People. He loves people. Just like us. And one of the lessons that we learned from the story of Jonah is that God not only loves people that are here within our sphere of influence, but he loves people that are far, far away. Far away that we don't even see. But just like Jonah, God sent Jonah, God sends us as well. To be involved. Not only to go, but to be able to give as well as pray. I love what Romans chapter 10 says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in them, him if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will they, anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. That's why there are missionaries that are scattered all around this world in places where people are to share the good news. Not just, not just on the other side of the world, but listen, there are missionaries here in America, and that's our responsibilities. There are unsaved, unbelieving people all around us within our community. And how will they know unless they're told? And how will they know unless they're sent? We send you every week. Every week, you are the hands and feet of Jesus when you walk out these doors. Every week when people come in, we have the opportunity to love people through children and youth and all these other environments. But this is not church. You're the church. You're the church. And God calls us to be on mission. Not only to receive the invitation to be changed in his likeness, but also to be on mission. But what is it that distracts us from connecting to the people that our Heavenly Father wants us to connect with? We have the privilege today of celebrating the Lord's Supper, reminding us of the sacrifice that Jesus gave. And as our ushers come this morning, in just a few minutes, we're going to be celebrating and participating in the Lord's Supper, reminding us not only 
of what Jesus did for us, but also it reminds me today, as I walk through the book of Jonah, the responsibility that we have to be as hands and feet to the world, to be on mission. There's two things that happens when we recognize and remember the sacrifice of Christ, and I said this a few weeks ago. Number one, there's a deep sense of humility when we recognize our sin and the price that was paid. It increases our awareness. It not only increases our awareness, it promotes us and prompts us to want to be able to extend that to others. Because when you understand, we understand the depth of what Jesus went through for our sin to be forgiven, and that's huge. But it also prompts us to want to be able to extend that same, that same thought, that same um, forgiveness to others. That's why it's so important. But not only humility, there's a sense of humility in the one who, who understands that, but there's also a sense of courage. Because when we've received something like God's grace, there's a sense of courage that comes that says, man, I want to take this and I want to share it with somebody else. But it was 2,000 years ago that Jesus was assembled with, with his, uh, some of his closest friends, the disciples there in that upper room, and he began to explain to them what was going to happen. And as he was there, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then a little bit later, he would take the juice, and he would pour it, the wine, and he would say, this is my blood, a symbol of my blood, which will be shed for you. And I have to believe that they had no clue what he was talking about. But Jesus did. He knew. And Paul would go on to talk to us about this in the New Testament. See, in the, in the Old Testament, we, they remembered the greatness of God by celebrating feasts and festivals. But it was in the New Testament that Jesus himself instituted the Lord's Supper as a way of remembering his death and sacrifice that we would never forget. And this morning, as we prepare ourselves to partake of the Lord's Supper, Paul had said it's important for us to examine our lives, and if there's anything in our lives that we need to get rid of, it's great for us to go before the Lord and confess those sins and ask him to forgive us. The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is for believers, followers of Jesus, those of us that have confessed Christ. You're welcome to partake of it. If you've never made a decision to trust Christ, you know, you're, you're, you're welcome just to sit right there where you are. And to watch. But my, I guess the question I have to ask is what is it that keeps you from making the most important decision of all to trust and to follow him? So our ushers are going to come. They're going to grab their stations. There's going to be a time of quietness and just a prayer, and I'll pray for us. And what will happen is that as individuals, as families, as couples, as groups, However you want to, you can go to one of our stations. We have them here and we have them upstairs. And you have the opportunity to partake in the Lord's Supper, remembering his death, his suffering. What Jesus did for us is a reminder. An attitude of humility, recognizing what Jesus did, but also a sense of courage that when we're done here today, you recognize in boldness that you've been called to be on mission. And it wasn't just Jonah that was called it, but he called us as his children to go as well. So I'll pray for us, and you can go to these tables, and, and they'll have some elements that are ready for you. You can pray together. Parents, this is a great time to grab your kids and for you to, just to be able to pray with them and, 
and to tell them and, and, and to, to speak over them. But what a blessing it is for us to participate in this time together. Would you bow with me? And then after that, we'll have the opportunity for you to go to one of these tables and participate in the Lord's Supper. Father, I'm just thankful today uh, for the privilege of reading your word. And, and so, many, so much of it is so reflective of all of our lives. How many times have we called and you've, you've called us to obey and we've said no? No. How many times have we become angry with you over things that you've called us to do and it really just has to do with our comfort and our position? Father, I pray today that as we've heard this story, we've realized the significance of our sin and the price that you paid for our sin so that our sin could be forgiven, but also the preciousness of the the privilege of being able to be sent on mission as a child of God, carrying the message of hope that comes through your death, burial, and resurrection. For each one of us that are here today, may we recognize the symbolism, the significance. Is also the was, but also the responsibility. I pray blessings, Father, as we partake of the bread that was a symbol of your body which was broken, that as we drink of the cup that was a symbol of the blood that was shed, and that we would continue to proclaim your name until that day when you return. Bless us now in this time as we celebrate the Lord's Supper as your family. In Jesus' name, amen.